it's really about the product and the service and the customer experience that you're delivering. And that's what's going to get associated with the brand. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Analysis Paralysis. Today, I'm here with Kobe Packmeyer, and we're talking about branding your business and what that truly means. There are some things that you have control over and other things that you do not, and where you should focus your efforts where you do have control. Talking about how his business has transitioned over the past 16 years of, of being in business and how he managed to leverage automation internally within his own company, which then led to him doing the same for his clients. Enjoy the episode. Hey, Kobe, good to finally jump on a call. Why don't we start by you telling me a little bit about your business background and how you got started and found your way into the automation space? Well, so I think like most entrepreneurial things, right, it's very rarely a linear path. And so my background really is in system engineering and software development and automation. And so I'm, you know, always trying to stay on top of latest trends in terms of, you know, whether it's IoT or AI or whatever, but that's really kind of more just a personal passion and drive of, you know, just staying on cutting edge technology. But a lot of how I end up applying it is uh, because as a small business, that's really what uh, we started out. So like, you know, we've been in business for about 16 years and uh, pretty much started out very mainstream as more of a design and, you know, agency, right? So we did websites, brochures, you know, whatever, just typical stuff from an agency. Mm -hmm. But as a small business and having a technology background, I was always trying to find ways to do things that the big companies were doing and then make that feasible for myself. And so, um, and so, but as an offshoot of that, because I was making things easier for us, that translated into being able to make things easier for our clients too. So that's mm-hmm. kind of how all of the adding the technology and stuff came into our business. And, uh, um, and I know from, well, again, I don't know, I only know about your business, right. From, uh, from the interactions we've had on the forums, mm-hmm. but, uh, but in essence, the, uh, the automation part for us is really more of a ancillary thing you know it's a byproduct of what we do because most most of our focus is on helping customers achieve some specific result typically around either growing their revenue or decreasing their costs and even the decrease in the cost is kind of almost a byproduct because we really come at it from a branding and a marketing angle Mm -hmm. and so uh and educating our clients that you know brand isn't a color scheme or a logo or a tagline, mm-hmm. right? It's it's everything that their customers hold in their mind about, uh, you know, what that customer provides in terms of value. And so everything that we educate our clients on is all around improving customer experience. Okay. So the automation piece for us is, is much more about 
where your customer experience is, you know, where your customer is having a bad experience, how can we improve that? Or even where it's a good experience, how can we make it even better? How can we free you up to provide better service in other areas or support more clients or, you know, just do something different. And so that's where the automation comes in for us. Is the majority of your company at this point um, still kind of the branding and the development, things like that? Or is it for the most part now the automation side, like you've fully done that transition? No, it's still very much branding and marketing. So, oh, and again, okay. that's the that's the big that's the big thing that we educate our customers on is uh, when we talk to people about branding and marketing. Most of the time, what they think of is you know a website or brochures or social media or whatever. Mm-hmm. And again, what what we do is educate them. We have a whole framework that we've developed. Uh, that's based on a whole series of industry proven tools. You know, they're backed by not just the academics and the science and psychology, but by the results we've actually been able to help our customers get. And, uh, and so the, um, and so it's a it's a very technical approach to branding and marketing, if you will. So we combine both the creative stuff that we do. I mean, we do websites and, video and print brochures and, you know, all the typical stuff. Um, but it's always from a higher level perspective, like they're trying to grow their sales, uh, or launch a new company or whatever. Right. And so Mm -hmm. then the, the technology piece is really just about how do we create the best customer experience for their customers? And so that's where the automation really uh, comes in from us and the technology that we bring from background, um, you know, we work with companies on such a holistic level um, that really, I mean, it's a lot of times the engagements come into us for something like, hey, we need a new website. Um, and that, but really what we end up doing is helping them with their whole brand culture <laughs> and mm-hmm. understanding how to how to differentiate or how to in- innovate, you know. And, and I don't know if you want to go down this path, but um, yeah, absolutely. I yeah, but but basically, I have some examples of things that the way that we've started with something that was like simple on the surface, but then how we brought in automation and thought a little differently, and then sort of the specific results that we achieve for clients. Yeah, right? so, so, so so bring me through an example because essentially what what you are is you're also consultants, and I think that that's the best way. Um, to do, I guess, web development, branding, and things like that. Because our background actually was also web development when we started, and we shifted. We're n- now we're primarily automation, but at the end of the day, we're also just mm-hmm. really general business consultants. So they may come to us with a certain problem, and the more we dig into their business and understand what software use they're using in their processes, that's where we actually open up and start doing a lot more. So it sounds similar, but the the hook that connects you initially may be still a website or generic branding or just something that pulls you in and that's where you really uncover what they truly need as a business. Yeah. So for example, like this is the best example. And I was just giving a talk yesterday uh, about this. So it's, so it's fresh in mind. It's easier for me to kind of give you those details. So one of the examples that I explained um, was that uh, like we helped a customer that had been stuck at $4 million a year in revenue for 14 years. They'd been in Mm, business for 30 years. And then uh, for the last 14 of those years, they had been stuck at $4 million a year. We came in um, and helped them get to their first ever $5 million a year. Right. And so, 
and how, and how we did that was it started out as a pretty simple website engagement because uh, what had happened was they – so they were stuck. The revenue had just started to decline, and um, and so they hired a different firm, not us, to uh, create – a new website. And so subjectively speaking, the website was better than what they had. In fact, this is pretty typical for companies, right? They'll make a consensus and they all say, oh yeah, this looks better, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And, uh, but it had the opposite results. Their leads started drying up oh, wow. and things were getting worse instead of better. And so uh, one of the board members was familiar with our technical approach and so uh, said, hey, can you diagnose this? Tell us, you know, what are we doing wrong? How do we need to fix this? So we came in and we used a bunch of advanced analytics tools to, you know, look and see what was going on real time with customer engagement. And I'm a big fan of Hotjar. That's one of the tools that uh, we yep. use. Okay. Yep. And so, yeah, so if you're familiar with that, right? So we were able to look at where the eyeballs were tracking, mm-hmm. how they were engaging with the website. Um, and so there was definitely those technology tools, but the framework that we have for branding and marketing is much more holistic. Like there's a, there's actually a scientific approach that we can take to understanding their messaging and how it should be worded and how it should be constructed. Uh, the, the very, and then there's the practical tactical stuff of like, how do, how should the page be laid out? How, Mm -hmm. you know, in addition to creating the right messaging and the right content and then a way that we were able to look at how their product was positioned within the marplace relative to the competitors and I've got some really cool images which aren't great for a podcast, a presentation but, yeah yeah, but, yeah 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 but but basically what we were able to do is we were able to look and identify that any of the areas on their site that it was even closely resembling some sort of value proposition right like saying to the visitor like well hey why should you use us rather than anyone of our competitors mm-hmm. it is a very commoditized product and um and so what was happening was people were just completely confused. They couldn't find any information. We were able to see them going back and forth and back and forth, getting frustrated, and then going from the main menu down to the footer menu, just trying to find what they uh, needed. Yep. And and so they were never even reading any of the content on the website. And uh, we have this really cool graphic that shows all of that visually, right? So mm-hmm. we were able to diagnose those kinds of problems. But using that same framework much more holistically, we were able to figure out that, well, gosh, it wasn't just a website problem, and it wasn't even just a messaging problem. It was a product problem, mm-hmm. and no amount of marketing and branding was going to solve the product problem. But then it turned out that they had a product problem because they had a leadership and brand culture problem that had really stifled their whole innovation. Oh. And even though they had actually invented this whole category of business – their competitors had blown by them and they were no longer really relevant in the marketplace. They, I, the only reason they were at 4 million was because they had really loyal customers. They were doing a lot right. You know, they were strong with their existing customers, but they weren't growing. And, uh, and so it was that, that kind of technical approach that we were able to come in and say, okay, now here's what we need to do. And then that's where the automation kind of came in. I'm, I'm super, we able to, super curious. So, mm-hmm. What what kind of are you able to say at all the the type of product or is that um, maybe something yeah, like that? Okay. Sure. Yeah. So and the stuff's not super secret, like because we have stuff on our website. Yeah, we have okay. testimonials from them Great. and everything. Uh, but uh, but basically, it's HVAC digital controls. Like if um, 
it goes back because they started, they've been in business now for about 32 years. Like I said, they invented this whole process. Mm -hmm. Like we think of commercial building and all the heating and air conditioning vents like are independently controlled by different digital controls. Mm -hmm. Well, it didn't used to be that way. Everything used to sort of be a home run wiring back to some central closet. And so they actually invented this whole thing of uh, direct digital controls where the digital controls go throughout the building and then they're all automated and controlled by a central computer, right? Ah, so, okay. gotcha. um, so, so that, that's what it is. And then, so it was new when they invented it, obviously, <laughs> mm-hmm. but, but now it's become much more of a, a commoditized kind of a product and there's, there's lots of people selling digital controls and, um, so have, have you gone so, uh, through yeah. and done when, when you talk about the branding and all this aspect and you're actually looking at the site and trying to improve user engagement and everything, do you actually jump into like the AdWords and the Facebook advertising or, or the online marketing aspect you, uh, back away from a little bit, like the goal, like bring me just to have a better understanding of what your business does overall, sure. where, where, where will you yeah. embrace? Well, so I think that's a good point because typically that's where companies jump to, right? Mm-hmm. They say, oh, we've got to get the right advertising and we've got to get, you know, like the right mix of the Google AdWords or whatever. And and sometimes the performance isn't those things. It's really mm-hmm. uh, you've got the wrong message for the wrong audience or your product sucks. Sometimes we have to find tactful ways to tell that to clients, right, and say – you know, here we we try to go in and focus on what their strengths are, and so that we can help explain what they need to shore up. So yeah, we help with things. You know, so we've done you know Google AdWord campaigns and Facebook advertising or whatever it is that's needed for each customer. We don't have really any sort of cookie cutter solution like, mm-hmm. oh here's our platinum package, right? And you get X many tweets or yep. whatever, yeah. <laughs> right? Uh, our focus is more on hey. If you really want to differentiate, uh, you're going to have to focus on these things. And uh, so we really start at the right – what's the right brand story? What is it that you need to tell about your company, not just externally, like not just the messages that we're pushing out to prospective clients, but what are you telling your employees, right? What, how do you make decisions and prioritize? Because the client that I'm talking about, for example – they, uh, you know, they had just built a brand culture that was so internally focused, except for their sales team, right? They mm. had great customer loyalty because of their sales team, but the engineering team didn't know how to make decisions because their customer base was so diverse, had so many different needs. They didn't know how to prioritize what features they should add first. So they did the easy thing, which was just did whatever they wanted to do with no mm. input from the customers, really. And so, uh, and so that's where we were able to use like my system engineering background and technology and uh, electronics and stuff like that to be able to come in, but apply some really cool uh, techniques from uh, branding and marketing and manufacturing to say, well, here's how we should prioritize. Here's how to make sure we're going to get the right bang for the buck in this release of features and. And so it was like really helping them fix their brand culture, their mm-hmm. customer experience, and the messaging then for each of their audiences to tell a story, not of what they had invented and done for the past 30 years, but really more about the kind of company they were going to become for the next 30 years. And then mm-hmm. that, so that's really where we spend our time focusing because once you nail that, everything else is easier. In other words, what should we automate? Well, mm-hmm. let's. 
that's that's the same kind of question as well. What features should we add to our product? Well, there's a lot you can automate, but it's not just about automation for automation's sake. It's like you know what's going to create the best customer experience where we expect to see some sort of better results from that. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of how we focus. I don't know if that helped tie yeah, it all together. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so I do want to dive into more of the automation side to it, but first I kind of want to ask a, a, a question just in general. A lot of the people that I've talked mm-hmm. to in this automation space, they've always kind of chosen a CRM as their core. So like either internally they use a CRM Maybe they're flexible to other ones as well, um, but from what we've seen, it's a good starting place, especially when you're talking about customer support and these other aspects of the business. You know, this is the place that stores all of that information. Is there a specific CRM that you your company works with, or do you work with everything, or or is that not even a, a core thing that you guys deal with? Well, I think, and I'm sorry for I'm a very abstract vision person, so I'm sorry if this is too abstract of an yeah. answer, but. We're somewhat agnostic to mm-hmm. it. I mean, by nature of the companies we work with, there's the common players out there, right? Salesforce, yep. uh, there's some Zoho CRM or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, the main thing is if somebody's using something today without an API, that would be the only thing that we would absolutely like force them to change yep. to something, right? But, um, but, but it's a good example, like taking the CRM is kind of a good example of some of the other stuff that we've been talking about, which is, CRMs are deceptively easy, right? You can mm-hmm. roll it out. They've kind of got this box construct of you got contacts and leads and prospects or maybe even, you know, cases if you've got a help desk built into it mm-hmm. or whatever. And so it's deceptively easy. And I can't tell you the number of customers that I've worked with that, like, they start rolling it out. And you would think things were obvious, the fields, like, well, here's how the content should be used. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they'll create custom fields. That's all the easy part. But what it turns out is like they get one, two, three years into it and the data is almost useless because nobody standardized on how the data should be done, Mm -hmm. even for things that seemed really obvious. Like, well, what do you mean percentage probability? You know, Mm -hmm. how do you define what the percentage of probability is? Somebody's got to make that definition. um, And that's where it's so so difficult, though, because there's so many CRMs out there and so many that are like, you know, you could just you could buy from us right now, throw it up and have it up and running within minutes. So they sell that easy convenience. And I I think back in the day, um, definitely the larger companies, like they'd embrace Salesforce. Salesforce was so confusing that you needed a head of CRM kind of at your company to run through and be like, someone's like, hey, I want to add a new custom field. It's like, well, why do you want that custom field? And like, let's walk through if we can do this in a different way with the data that we already have. And you start like questioning mm-hmm. everything and you build process around what you're doing. So it's this very difficult thing where same thing, a company may embrace, uh, you know, CRM and then contact us. And it's the same thing. It's like, we want to be that consultant to them. But at a certain point, the market is trying to train them that, no, you just throw it in a place. You throw all this, you know, download Asana, try it for free today. And that doesn't mean that you're you're organizing it in the way that should be working for right. your specific business process. Exactly. And so I think that's a good analogy of like how we work, like say taking automation or website or marketing, you know, in terms of the advertising aspect of it, like what Mm -hmm. we're going to do. It's the same thing. It's our focus is really on the process. Like, okay, so before we start diving into your CRM, let's talk about your sales process. What is your customer follow-up process? Let's talk about that process and let's make sure we're all on the same page and create documentation around what each of these fields means. Mm 
Mm-hmm. What is that trigger to move from this stage to this stage? You know, how do we agree on that? Because mm-hmm. then once we do that, then it even makes the automation so much easier oh, because sure. then you can look around like, yeah, wh- well, here's when we could automate moving to this, right? We received X. Now we can flip the trigger so that we know this pushes to the next stage. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah. it's such an interesting thing because like even uh, something that we've been diving into a bit more as well, like if you're working with the CRM at all, there are normally stages in a process that you could bring it through. There's other software as well, like uh, Pipeify, which is specifically taking this this opportunity and moving it to each stage and each stage is a trigger that can start something. And what's really interesting is like each stage name is actually very important. Like should it be uh, should the stage that maybe this opportunity is sitting in be send proposal or should it be proposal sent? Like there's two different actions. One is an active right. and the other one is like it happened. What's interesting right. is uh-huh. if it's proposal sent, that could be a great trigger of when you move that. Now you can do all this other stuff in the system. Whereas if it's just send proposal, does that just sit there? And like what 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 trigger really is send proposal aside from being a task that is something that you need to do. So it's really interesting to work through the process to understand should this be past tense that you did it or should this be an active stage and and jumping between that depending on their process is a very important distinction that the average person who's setting up a pipeline in a CRM does not actually think about because it, it doesn't seem like that big of a difference. No, that's that's exactly right. I think that's a great way to put it. That's you know kind of nailing on the head of what I was saying more abstractly, which is it's easy to create a CRM, right? The mm-hmm. physical app, uh, the physical act of setting it up and putting data into it, uh, and to some degree even customizing based on skill level of you know the client. Like mm-hmm. even the one that I was just talking about, uh, that uh, the HVAC digital controls. You know, they're very technical engineering type people, so setting up the CRM and Salesforce and everything was easy, but it wasn't easy for them to jump to. Like they just all assumed they all thought the same way. Mm-hmm. And so nobody was identifying like, well, what does that mean? Oh, I thought you meant that once it hit this stage that then somebody else was going to do yep. this you know? yeah. or whatever. So nobody took the time to plan it first. You mm-hmm. know, They just approached it from a technical creation perspective. So, so how do uh, clients normally come in touch with you and what is like an ideal target or uh, cl- I guess customer demographic in some regard. So it sounds like with automation, the larger the business, the more you can tweak things and and benefit from automation. So if you give me a company that's doing $200,000 a year, it's very difficult to give that automation value. But if someone's doing 4 million, you could probably do a few tweaks and get them to 5 million. So, So what is your kind of focus, your target? Well, so it's interesting because I remember an engagement, uh, like just a back and forth, very quick. It was almost side note, anecdotal kind of conversation that we had in the Mm -hmm. forum where um, for whatever reason, I found myself drawn to the very difficult customers that have huge need and no budget. Uh And uh, and and but it's where I, I and when I say drawn, it's like it's very easy for me to take and do what I do for the companies that are making four million a year and mm-hmm. they have budget to, you know, put into make taking these corrective actions. But where I get the most sense of fulfillment is when I'm even just doing a small automation. Like mm-hmm. for example, I had a contractor who was back in the height of doing a lot of a uh, home flipping, right? He worked with a huge number of big investors who were, you know, bankrolling essentially um, flipping homes. And so they kind of had this cookie cutter approach to doing it or whatever. And he was so busy just manually doing stuff 
that it really was destroying his marriage, right? Mm-hmm. And so, because he just he just couldn't keep up with stuff, and so by just introducing some very basic automation with email, and I think we had set him up with some uh, basic like a Podio. I'm not sure mm-hmm. you're familiar with that, yep. and and, uh, uh, and so by doing that, all of a sudden it, it created whole hours of his day. You know, and so it wasn't an expensive project. It was just a quick, simple thing because the people with those low budgets don't even know this kind of stuff exists. Yeah, it's so tough because that's like the small business owner um, area, which that's the way that I connect with so much as well. Because when you're dealing with owner operated, then the changes that you make, it so directly affects the large, the the owner of the business to the point where they can Mm -hmm. a either scale the business now. Or B, they could spend more time with family. They don't need to be working those 60, 70, 80 hours a week. But that's always the difficulty as well because they almost look at it as your cost is an expense instead of investment. And it's coming off mm-hmm. of their, you know, feeding their children, for example. Like they take it very personally very often when it's a smaller company. And I understand it. You know, I'm a small company. And when there's a massive expense going out, it's tough sometimes to reel yourself back in and be like, this is a business expense or a business investment and look at it that way and then make the decision versus saying like, shoot, this is like five grand coming out of my own pocket because in a sense it is, but you know, it, you really have to separate the two if you want to be running a business and look at it as a business. And sometimes I feel like a lot of your job and my job actually are to take these people and have them think in the investment mindset and understand that this is not an expense. This is something that's going to pay for itself and more and it's the thing that's going to allow you freedom. Well, so what's interesting, though, is I've had the same problem, given that our focus is really on how do we help people differentiate and grow their business, right? And we have mm-hmm. this whole formula uh, for how uh, how you grow brand value over time, and it's this whole function of uh, this iterative approach over time of customer experience versus their expectations, and then how what you do meets, exceeds, or it fails to meet the expectation that they had, right? And so... Mm-hmm. Um, and so part of the problem that we have, even with people that have budget, when we do some of these automations, trying to sell it as, well, here's how much you're going to cut down in labor costs, though, sometimes they don't see that, oh, right? Yeah. Because it it's like, well, them. I'm already paying for the labor and mm-hmm. whatever. And so uh, and so where we struggled, even like with this client that we got results, part of the problem is it's short-term thinking. Like they want to – like they – so their goal was, hey, we need to grow sales, right? Our revenue is starting to drop. Our leads are drying up. What do we need to do? And so, yeah, we needed to address those low-hanging fruit things that we could do from a practical and tactical perspective. Mm-hmm. But a big part of the problem that we faced in working with them was some of the – owners of the business and shareholders like they they were mostly older too so that was part of the challenge that we had mm. uh but um the um but they couldn't see the roi in a year over year basis they wanted to know like okay so we improve the customer experience well how many how many more sales am i going to get this month mm-hmm. i'm oh, like okay. well, <laughs> yeah, right well we can play the attribution game which in my opinion is yeah, right. I mean, I say things kind of that uh, concretely, even though they're more subtle and abstract. Yes, you want to do best practices when you're marketing and advertising and understand the stats so that you know what's working, and what's not working. But but again, it's sort of short term thinking. So, yes, we're going to do all those things. But when we talk with clients now, it's like, hey, uh, we're going to do all the right things to help you on a month by month basis. 
But when we talk about increasing your ROI, we're looking year over year, Mm -hmm. right? Because you don't have enough volume for us to say, this is what you're going to do from week to week, you know? And, uh, you know, I mean, and that's, unfortunately, that's what too many customers that we see try to do. Like, okay, we ran this one Facebook ad. Well, how many sales did I get from it? Well, Mm -hmm. great. We can track that where we track it, but, you know, but we need to be looking at what your ROI does at the end of the year when you're, when people are having better customer experience and they're giving you more word of mouth referral and they're able to buy more, you know, because you're giving them a product that helped them make more sales, you know, or whatever. So do you see this pop up more with smaller businesses or with larger businesses? I'd say both, but the point that we were just talking about in terms of like, you know, the larger companies and that have the revenue to, to invest in, you know, improved efficiencies some of the areas that we've struggled are even just trying to sell. In other words, just trying to sell it on reduced labor costs. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's not enough. Yeah. And, and for both large and small businesses, trying to explain that improving your customer experience at every single touch point over time will increase sales. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the analogy I've heard before is, relative to attribution is it's kind of like if you're married and, and let's say you dated for a couple of years and it's like trying to point to, well, what was the one specific yeah. sentence that you said on a specific date yep. mm-hmm. that led her to say, or him to say yes to mm-hmm. marriage, right? Well, you can't, you can't really attribute it that way. But if, but if you're a good partner, you have a good relationship and you, and you do enough of the right things in addition to the bad things, right? Eventually it gets to the, to the yes. And so, um, and so that, so kind of trying to explain that longer term thinking and that, uh, when businesses are trying to figure out attribution for, well, we ran that ad, how many sales did we get? Well, I can tell you how many clicks came through. I can Mm -hmm. tell you how many people, uh, you know, bought maybe directly from that campaign, but I can't tell you the number of people that it also influenced. Yeah, you know, that and, kind of stuff. And so. it's also a mindset shift internally for employees as well, where it's just like when you get into the mindset of automation, then, you know, employee that used to be doing something manual over and over and over and over that they thought that was just part of their job when that is taken care of, then they kind of start seeing like, oh, shoot, here's another aspect of my job that's that's repetitive and we can save time doing that. And you start having people think in a mm-hmm. mindset of automation and that's very powerful as well. And that's something that takes time. So, you know, four, five, six months after we implement something with a client, they may come back to us and say, hey, now that we understand what you guys can do for us and how well this is working, like, let's do it with this part of the business as well. And they would have never even thought to do it to that part of the business unless they had that mindset shift. And sometimes that just takes time. That may take a year for them to get to a place of, of doing that. And then you start overhauling all parts of the business. So it, it takes time, exactly what you're saying. That it, it, That's the most difficult part where sometimes when we're signing someone on, because we normally do an annual uh, commitment, an annual agreement with them. That initial annual agreement and that monthly uh, recurring uh, expense, it's it's something that's very difficult for them to understand at first. But it's like you need to have those three, four months behind them with automation in place for them to be like, okay, I understand that this is now an investment. When they start, it's it's almost always going to be seen as an expense because it's new especially. And understanding how much can be done to their business is not something that can even connect with them. Like exactly what you're saying, it just, it doesn't connect. So how do you make it connect with them? How do you help them get to that place to see it as as an investment? And it's it takes time at the end of the day. Well, and I'd say again, that 
that's why our approach with the whole branding and marketing kind mm-hmm. of really helps is because our focus is on how improving customer experience at every single touch point is what grows your business. Mm-hmm. And and so it's coming in from that angle rather than just reduce time expense because that's yes. pretty much how we how we started it. And then so from there, when you look at uh, branding and marketing, um, you know, and I'll I probably my uh, OCD brain wants to go back and define all of those terms because <laughs> I've done this enough to know that people Not define branding, knows. marketing, and advertising yeah, go, separately. Go, go yeah, for it. Go for it. Do it. Yeah. Sure. So, okay. So our approach really is sort of this inside out approach. So, uh, and then, uh, and then comes back from an outside in. So in other words, when we talk about branding and marketing and advertising, so looking from the inside out, that's why we start so much with what's your brand culture, what's your business model? Uh, how can we help you differentiate based on the culture of your team to create a competitive advantage and what areas, uh, are you more innovative than other people? And so we, so we try to understand the story that you're telling yourself internally. Mm-hmm. Then we create the marketing strategy and analyze the market, uh, you know, to understand your audience. How do we need to optimize the message for each audience segment? And then the advertising is literally just the decisions that we made in the marketing strategy of here's the specific message to a specific audience on a specific channel of the story that we're going to tell about our brand. Mm-hmm. And so that's the strategy is kind of coming from the inside out. On the way back in, that advertising then creates feedback and opportunity for us to look at the typical metrics and KPIs of click-throughs or whatever. And so then we can optimize that initial advertising piece by looking at the metrics and doing A-B testing or whatever. But then marketing, what we explain to clients is everything that a customer sees, touches, tastes, feels, hears, smells. Mm -hmm. So if it impacts customer experience, that's marketing and that's what we're going to help you with. And then understanding that brand ultimately isn't you're responsible to build your brand, but you don't own it. It's Mm -hmm. owned by the minds of your customers. And so the brand then is the story that they tell about you. So going inside out, it's the story you're telling internally and externally. But brand and building your brand is really the story that other people tell about you. Mm -hmm. Right. And so trying to become remarkable. So they talk about you. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's really that's our approach to branding, marketing, and um, and advertising, right? Is and so so then getting back to the automation piece of this, that's where it's really a focus of we we address it from a customer experience perspective and explaining how creating customer experience you know improves their overall brand value over time, and so then the automation piece is really more. In other words, the time savings, the labor costs, and all that other stuff, that's beneficial. But but to your point that you were making is we always kind of turn that back towards how that frees them up to create even more custom, better customer experience, mm-hmm. right? And so mm-hmm. so it, it's interesting. I want to actually pull this to, to branding for a second because um, something actually just happened recently. The, the company that we're partnered with in the CRM space, they were called ProsperWorks, and they just did a big rebranding. And I was really mm-hmm. trying to pay attention to how I felt with the new name and everything that they did. So I kind of want to run through it and maybe get some insight or some input from your end. So they renamed the company from Prosper Works to Copper. And when I first heard that, it was like, okay, interesting. You know, Copper, like that doesn't 
connect with me. It's it's a word. It's it's just a word that has existed for a while. Whereas prosper works like you know three syllables. It's it's something that unique. I've never heard of that before. So immediately, like prosper works has a brand, some type of identity. It's unique. Whereas copper now, like even searching Google for copper, you're now competing with the material that is copper. And I was a little bit thrown off by it, but then they started doing some marketing around the rebrand. Like here's the rebrand. Here's why we chose this word. And they're talking about you know, copper is malleable. It's great for, you know, connections for teams. Um, and they started putting it around like the electric electrical aspect where it connects things. And, and there's so much about relationship connections. And they're trying to spin mm-hmm. it as like this material has existed for so long and it will exist after all of us. Like it will outgrow our, like it will withstand our relationships and go even further than that. And they're really trying to spin this. And then the color scheme that they added, you know, they went from that, that, that bluish purple that pretty much every company uses that blue brand color to now like this this you know hot pink and and um mint accent color so like it totally stands out as like whoa this is like different and between all of the color schemes that they're using now which are way different and the the marketing that they're putting out like i'm starting to feel good about the name whereas a lot of the people that i've talked to that saw prosperworks they're like i don't understand copper and they they haven't really read any of the material but after reading their material they're kind of guiding me to understand and now like i'm trying to sell them and now like i'm trying to do the branding for them where it's like hey this actually makes sense this is actually cool like and i think it's interesting what you're saying that branding is now coming from me as someone that this is how i'm perceiving it based on the marketing that they did to explain it to me. Is that accurate? Right. Yeah, exactly. And so, and so basically, yeah, in fact, what's interesting. So another one of our sort of, you know, shameless plugs about who we are and what we've been able to do with our approach is we're one of about 10 companies nationwide that Charles Schwab uses as a preferred vendor to help people that are launching uh, their own uh, wealth management firm. So like if you were going to start Alex's wealth management, right. And then, Mm -hmm. Uh, somebody has to hold all the, that money because no matter how trustworthy you are, your clients aren't going to sign over their millions of dollars of assets to Alex, right? So, mm-hmm. so uh, Schwab owns uh, holds that money. It's what they call a custodial service. And yep. so to make it easier for people to launch their own uh, wealth management firm, uh, they bring in a whole team of experts. And we're one of those experts that uh, can help people with their brand mm-hmm. and their marketing strategies. But the point I'm connecting to what you're talking about there is – we go through this in sort of a couple phases. One is people think that the logo and the color scheme and all that stuff matters so much when they start, mm-hmm. they get too hung up on it. And yeah, in fact, we take, even with that, we take a technical approach to it. We have this whole design discovery thing where we have them fill out, uh, you think of it like a psychological profile for their business almost. Mm-hmm. And then we use scientific and technical things to help create a color scheme and a logo and the shapes that we use to convey that type of feeling, et cetera. So there is, so color and logo and all that stuff does matter enough to put some thought into it, right? You don't want to just use a poop emoji for your yeah. you know, mm-hmm. logo or something. But, but, so, uh, but, but in the end, it doesn't really matter because whatever you start with, that's what you're going to build, right? And it's going to, we've seen this so many times that after a month of using the branding and the messaging, it just feels like that's what it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. So then you have the other end of it. People get so stuck because it's, because it's been the same thing for so long. It feels so right that when you change it, 
like this doesn't feel right, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Yep. Even if it's better messaging or whatever, and so ultimately, I think it makes the point though that it's really about the product and the service and the customer experience that you're delivering, mm-hmm. and and that's what's going to get associated with the brand. And yeah, different colors and logos and stuff can help you tell a better story for certain. You know, like what you were just sharing with Copper. Like mm-hmm. that, I'm not as familiar with Prosper Works. Uh, outside of things I've seen you post on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, like, so, but yeah, as a storyteller, I love the whole switch to copper, right? Mm-hmm. So not being familiar with it, I'm going to come across copper at some point and go, okay, yeah, I get it, you yeah. know? Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and it's going to feel normal to me. So when we, when we help people through their branding and their marketing from a color scheme and stuff, um, you know, we explain to them that like, look, unless, unless, unless you can articulate for us, why this is going to negatively impact your business, mm-hmm. you know, then we'd rather you just rely on our expertise and not get caught up around the axle about the particular shade of blue or, yes. you know, it, whatever. It, yeah. When it's, it, it's so easy to get caught up about that though. Cause like, I remember when I first started my business and coming up with the company name and the logo, like I was so obsessive over it. And like, now I look at it and I'm like, I'm I'm at a place where I want to rebrand the company, but I also don't want to rebrand it until we get to a certain place. Like I want to have a larger team behind me and I want to do a proper rebrand and spend, you know, the proper, you know, resources to do it. And I just think back to how much I was stressing about the company name when I was first building it. And it's just like it doesn't matter. It's my service offering. My clients don't care that much about my company name. It's it's about what I can do for them, what we can do for them. And uh, I think exactly. the larger the company you get, like I, I love when talking about branding, I think the, fir- the the main company that comes to mind, believe it or not, is T-Mobile. When they have that like that magenta color that they own that like when you see mm-hmm. a, that magenta color, you just think T-Mobile because the CEO, like most CEOs of businesses, they'll wear like suits and things like that where you have John Legere, like he's always wearing a magenta uh, T-shirt underneath that sport coat of his or so it's like he and he Mm -hmm. like so embraces that color that I think there's at a point where brand really does like they own that color to the point where they've actually sued companies for using a similar color being in a similar industry and it's like that's where almost their brand has become a color which is so incredibly powerful like how crazy is that and then you have all these other companies like yeah yeah. Well, and again, that's kind of, and it, I'm laughing because this, these are the conversations that we have all the time with customers. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, because again, most of the people that we're working with on the financial side, they're launching their own firm and that's the kinds of things that they're concerned about. Mm-hmm. And we get it. We understand it. There's an emotional aspect and gosh, we're putting the time into designing it. We want you to be happy. It's yep. not like our way or the highway, mm-hmm. but, uh, but you know, we have years of science and psychology and, technical and creative training, we, you know, we kind of want you to, you know, trust us that a, this is a good design, even if it doesn't feel right to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and B, uh, that ultimately it's not going to matter. It's going to be about what you do because the things that you're saying, for example, like, yeah, when you reach a T-Mobile stage or a Nike stage or whatever, cause that's what we hear, mm-hmm. you know, like, yeah, uh, yeah. Then you then you can worry about your particular shade of blue, yeah. Because right? for some reason, financial oh, yeah. advisors all like blue, and so yeah. uh, you know, and so 
yeah, that stuff matters. I'm not saying it doesn't matter, but for most of the clients that we business, work with, they're it, not it, at that no. level. Oh, no. And I think that's the biggest thing that even when looking at the copper rebrand that happened, I think it's only starting to like they already have 20,000 companies using them. They're at this level where doing a rebrand is actually a big deal. Whereas if I do a rebrand right now, not that big of a deal at all. So it's almost like mm-hmm. part of it, they were also using it as a marketing thing. Like now we could push out tons of new marketing and start fresh and all this stuff. It's a way for them to kind of like start this new path with a massive customer base. So I think something similarly as well, this this company ConvertKit, which is actually who we use for a lot of uh, email automation, they were just rebranding to the company named Seva. And it seems like a lot of the companies that are doing these massive rebrands are right when they have, like they already have a substantial business and people that care about their brand and like it's a bigger deal. Whereas, yeah, like when you first start off, it really does not matter that much. Almost expect that you will rebrand if you ever hit those levels of T-Mobile and Nike. And you look at the, the, the logos of T-Mobile and how they've evolved over the years and they change a lot. Like, yeah, sometimes there's the swoosh that comes out and that's just like timeless, but that's not really the, the like look at Google. Google, how long did they have that logo for? And then they they grew as large as they are, and then they just massively changed it. People fought it, but then they're like, now that's just when you see the G logo, you just see that as Google. You don't think back to like, oh, I missed that really old, you know, serif font Google logo. So, and it only matters when you which, get to which, that level. Yeah, well, and and even I would even argue at a at a lower level because I think this is where the confusion comes in about like when people hear brand and so then they think color and logo, right? And mm-hmm. here's why. It's because the color and the logo is a shortcut, but what's it a shortcut to? It's a shortcut to the perception of mm-hmm. what you believe they offer. Mm-hmm. So in other words, that's that's where we get the term brand, right? Like, okay, this belongs to mm-hmm. X, right? To some company. And and really it's then just a shortcut of saying this is who we are. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so your your first step is to build the message of who you are. Mm-hmm. Then your brand makes sense. And then and then there is a psychological part of it too, like because you're you're articulating things that we see all the time where uh like one of our clients that we helped uh in the financial side, you know, they had us come up with several different name options for their business. And then we literally got on a call to present uh, what we were going to suggest to them. And they said, well, we came up with a name and we thought it sucked. Mm. <laughs> like, this is horrible. Yeah. Like it, it is so ridiculous, but we didn't have a choice. We went with it. We got them a great logo and everything to go with the name that they chose. Well now, uh, you know, two, three years later, like, I don't know, I can't imagine calling them anything else. Yeah. Oh, and so, it's, yeah. It's so cool. Yeah. No, it makes total sense. Yeah. Um, so, so out of curiosity, so industries, you you mentioned like obviously it sounds like wealth management is a big part of your company or the industry that you service. What are the industries that you go after, or is it totally broad? Well, I would say we've worked in such a vast array. It's like um, again, it hasn't been a very linear path for us uh, over the 16 years, you know, like, it's not like we invented a widget and then we grew 16 years. We've had ups and downs. We've 
come close to going out of business yeah. at times. Makes you know, sense. like I tell people now we're like a 16 year startup mm-hmm. and it's because we've continually tried to innovate and do different things. And so we've worked uh, like I've done stuff uh, in, for Department of Defense and Space and Naval Warfare. We got some contracts because of what we brought to the table for virtualization and uh, automation and, you know, some of those things that were, uh, in fact, it's funny because when Zapier was very first starting out, um, I got it and I understood how this was mm-hmm. going to be a game changer. Yeah. And so I started, you know, evangelizing their product to everybody else who like they didn't get it. Right. And they could, some of the stuff we did in department of defense would have been, uh, you know, amazing. There wouldn't have been a practical way to do it, but mm-hmm. the, but the concept of the API, um, you know, orchestration, if you will, you know, would, would have been massive. And mm-hmm. so anyway, so we've done stuff like at a very large global scale. And then we, you know, have helped mom and pop, you know, businesses. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I think the common thread though, is really just somebody who wants to take their business to the next level, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And then, um, but what I would say that we discovered more recently, in fact, it was when we started working with the wealth management side, we discovered that how our approach really helps when businesses are in highly competitive, highly commoditized, or even highly regulated industries. Mm-hmm. And that's because we start so much from the brand culture and the brand story that then the marketing strategy and the advertising strategy becomes so much easier and so much more clear. And and the, the financial management side is a perfect example of all three of those. It's, it's highly competitive because uh, they're all chasing high net worth customers, mm-hmm. right? Who have really entrenched relationships with their financial advisors. Um, it's highly commoditized in the sense that uh, it's kind of like realtors, for example. Everybody, oh, yeah. when I'm talking to a group of people, if I say, do you, hey, do you know a realtor? Like two or three hands, each person yeah. that go up, right? <laughs> and uh, and so, uh, and then it's highly regulated because there's SEC and FINRA rules that prevent us from saying certain things that you would normally use as a marketing tactic in non-financial circles um, because the level of precision and like you can't just say we're the best at or whatever, right? It's got to be backed by third-party independent data and uh, you can't use testimonials. uh, you, you, you can't, you can't even allow people to like your posts on Facebook or you can't allow people to, uh, um, I just drew a blank on LinkedIn, you know, when people can, uh, vouch, you know, vouch for your skill set, right. Oh, uh, ah. you know, yeah, you, yeah, you, you can't do that. So you take all this stuff. So how then are you going to help a firm differentiate when you take all of that away? Well, it really boils down to their personal story mm-hmm. and what, their life experiences have been, and then how that translates into how they think business should be done and how customers should be treated and how they're going to manage their money. So that's how we help them differentiate. And that process works across the board. Uh, you know, uh, from, you know, it doesn't have to be wealth management. Mm -hmm. We discovered that that works across the board is um, yeah, I don't. It's it's a mindset. You're you know, looking for companies yeah. that have a mindset have constraints because with constraints that allows you to really focus on your art and your craft to 
uh, make them stand out where if you can't just do it elsewhere whereas you know a very broad company you can go into here's all the things that we can do where do we start whereas this is like well we don't have many things that we could do in many of these areas because there, there are constraints where should we focus and here's how we can do it and here's how we can stand out it, it makes total sense um, and especially coming yeah, from a branding perspective yeah, and a common, I, I mean, this is sort of business school and marketing school 101. Like uh, Southwest is used as a case study for so many different things, Southwest Airlines. Mm-hmm. And um, and so uh, Southwest, for example, they're a low, they have a low-cost strategy, but they approached it from uh, they have just a single uh, airframe so that they could cut costs on training equipment and tools and stuff that they would need. And so, uh, and so their particular model, uh, other airlines tried to compete, right? Because you could understand that at a logical, logic level, right? Yep. You could say, Oh yeah, we're just going to have one airframe in this small regional area. And, you know, they tried to replicate the same thing Southwest was doing, but they failed. <laughs> And the reason they failed was because it was the culture. It was the company culture that was making a difference. Mm. And even just recently, because that's a, that's an analogy I've, I've shared multiple times, but even just recently it came up on one of their quarterly investment calls where, um, you know, they were saying, you know, why aren't you going to go to assigned seatings because you could save X amount of dollars. You know, it's what your competitors are doing. And the short version of the answer was, because that's not in our culture. That's not what we're doing. We mm. put the customer first, right? And that's why they're one of the few profitable airlines. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah. No, that's, so that's, that's kind of the mentality we try to help clients with. You could change mm-hmm. process. You could change all of these things. But at the end of the day, sometimes it's just culture where it'll work for one company and not a different company, even if almost all things seem identical. It could just be that one aspect that, that doesn't allow you to, to do it. Um, I'm, I'm curious for the software side of things, like what software are you using? And when we're talking about automation for some of these companies, like bring me through some of the, the consistent software that you're using and some of the, the automations that you typically build for many different companies. So, gosh, and I don't do it all the time. I do from a, well, I don't want to say just a hobby level. I'm like, I'm far more into it for that, mm-hmm. you know, and like I do some development on my own. It, but it, a lot of times it's more just staying on top of, what's cutting edge and what's new. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, so like right now I'm really into, uh, Vue.js, uh, oh, okay. as a framework, uh, uh, for doing apps and, and website and single page applications and that kind of stuff. And, um, uh, like, is that kind of the path you want to know? Those well, well so, of so that's, that's definitely more technical. I'm thinking like software as a service. Um, but it sounds like you're actually oh, in the development yeah. space a bit. Yeah. Well, both, yeah, because I'm always playing with, uh, like, I, I, I kind of use Zapier as an example as, you know, sort of like the playground. I go through and I try to keep up with the number of apps, which goes way mm. too fast, right? Yeah. I kind of wish years ago I had started a podcast around each app as they got yeah. connected because oh, you could have then kind of kept up with it. Mm-hmm. But um, but basically, uh, uh, I'll use it and I find new stuff. And then so I'll go sign up for a subscription and, and things. And so... Um, I'm using, gosh, so many, right? But a lot of it's play versus what have I actually implemented. So I'd say the stuff that I've implemented, um, you know, Zoho CRM, because I found that to be uh, cost-saving for a lot of people that were on Salesforce, because Salesforce Mm -hmm. is good at sucking small businesses into it, and then just they don't understand the cost of administration, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, overhead to keep keep that going. Um, 
and uh, let's see uh, what else. Um, well, so for e-commerce, ShipStation, um, okay. and uh, gosh, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. So uh, more recently, I've started playing with uh, Simon Says. Uh, they don't have really an API, so I don't know if that's, but it's a software as a service, and so uh, Simon Says is it. It's a it's an AI based uh, transcription tool. Mm. So uh, so a lot of what we do from a mark we have a video first approach that we take. So uh, when we do video content, then we can transcribe the audio and then we can edit the audio, you know, to create blog posts or case studies or white papers or whatever for content. And uh, and so we were paying a service um, Rev. We were using Rev, uh, and we still still use that when it's appropriate, but it's like a buck 25 a minute to get transcriptions mm-hmm. that are, you know, automated with time code and everything. And so, uh, but some of our stuff is a lot shorter and easier just to do internally. And so Simon says is a, is an AI based transcription thing. And mm-hmm. it's like, so we went from a dollar 25 a minute to seven cents a minute, but you got to put the labor in to, to do it, but it's pretty quick because of the AI assistance. It's really cool. I, I would recommend um, checking. This is a little bit uh, different in some regard, but check out otter.ai, O-T-T-E-R.ai. And it, it's similar to Simon Says in the sense where it's supposed to be like a note-taking app where you could just record vo- voice notes or you can like, I'll drag my podcast into it and they give you, mm-hmm. I think, 900 minutes per month free. So I'm oh, I haven't cool. been paying for the service whatsoever, and it transcribes it. And if there's two people talking, it will it knows my voice at this point, so it will tag me when I'm talking, and it will tag mm-hmm. like someone else when when they're talking. And you can literally search like I could jump into all of my outer voice notes, and I can search like I don't know thirty thousand dollars for example, and it will go through all of my podcasts when I happen to say thirty thousand dollars. And it's it's very oh, cool, very, very powerful, cool. and it's it's free. Like it, and obviously, like there, there's a higher tier where you can get, I think, like six thousand or nine thousand minutes per month. Um, but the the free mm-hmm. version of it gives you a fair, like, because I know a lot of these services they charge you immediately that it's you know seven cents a minute right. or whatever it, it comes out to be. So it's definitely something to check out um, in general. But yeah, definitely, it might not be the right for what you're specifically using it for. It may not be the right fit. It's just a very cool service. When I ever hear AI and voice I, that comes to mind sure I'm, I'm actually logging in now to my to my zapier account because like, you have i can't believe i'm stumped on what, what we're using yeah, yeah. exactly no it, so, it happens so i'm trying to think good yeah so um so, well, here's see. one do you, do you typically work with companies that are using g suite or will you also do office 365 or don't Both. even care it's a mix okay yeah so other ones, uh, FreshBook and Slack and Dropbox okay. are big ones that we do a lot of stuff with. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's see. Uh, so yeah, Gmail and Outlook and MailChimp, you know, Salesforce. Um, I would say as I'm scrubbing through here, uh, Twilio, that's another one, like huge. Like I was on the Twilio bandwagon like the day they launched. Mm-hmm. And um, So what do you guys use it for? What uh, are some examples uh, just for, you know, well, oh, so I guess that would be another one. So call tracking metrics. So it's kind of two approach. So what, so call tracking metrics is for, uh, and then this is often what we use Twilio for as well is, um, well, here's two use cases. So call tracking metrics, if you're not familiar, it's like using, uh, on-demand phone numbers for 
campaign tracking, whether it's offline or online campaigns. So like if you're running a magazine ad and you put in a unique phone number for that particular ad and publication, then you can track when people call in on that number so you know mm. whether the source was effective. And they use Twilio on the back end. And, uh, and so we use them for certain instances where we need sort of all the analytics. And it does other things where if you have a call center, you can go in and rate the different calls and you can kind of use it as a, for lack of a better term, sort of a CRM interface because you can uh, not only track uh, and rate, like if you say you had a call center supervisor, right, they can go in and rate each of the call person's uh, responses, but then they can all, the individual people can say, hey, this is a lead you should follow up on, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm, so because they've okay. done all of that work around it, uh, call tracking metrics kind of gives us all of that UI built in and it's a little higher cost because they're reselling Twilio essentially. And then, uh, and then we use Twilio for other smaller things that we've done for um, text messaging response and that kind of stuff. Okay. Oh, interesting. And uh, mm-hmm. so, and, uh, and go ahead. Yeah. No, I'd be curious in general. Is is there anything recently that you found out about that you started using that you thought was pretty cool? Uh, any any type of software as a service? Because um, you you said that you stay up to date in general. You're always looking at things and just seeing like, is there a, maybe a new piece of software that you started using with a random client of yours that you were um, not used to or anything come to mind? So, well, see, if you had asked me that before telling me about Otter, I would have said Simon said. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, gotcha. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, because that's really what I've been playing with mostly. Because what's funny is, as much as I uh, preach, you know, content uh, marketing to our customers and clients, like we've been really horrible at doing it for ourselves. Mm. Um, although a big part of that for us recently is changing because for so long, this whole branding and marketing approach that we had, we kind of held on to that as like our secret sauce and we didn't want anybody else to know our approach. But now we're shifting gears and we're starting to do more workshop and training and that kind of stuff around it. And it's that's kind of been freeing to just say like, nope, this is how we do it. Because we've discovered it doesn't matter if it's secret sauce because honestly, most of the small businesses that we work with, like they can't even, you know, post to Facebook. So they're not going to, they're not going to dig into all the science and math of, you know, how to help improve their brand and customer experience and everything else. And, and, um, and so, uh, so we're kind of shifting to more of that content marketing and content marketing automation. So I'm trying to think of a tool that was surprising. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting yeah, because in, in general, I think it's easy to as a business to take what you're good at and kind of hold it close to your chest. But I think it, this mm-hmm. is part of the reason why I have this podcast where like, I love talking about our process and, and being very transparent about what we do because at the end of the day, the people that I'm going to connect with are people like you and you are not the, you're not my target audience. Like you're not my target market rather. Like you're not, I'm not going to be going into your business and trying to automate it. So it's actually really nice because then I could build these relationships, these connections with people and then if a business owner does happen to listen to this podcast, hopefully they can connect to it in various different ways or at least start getting their mindset and the automation mindset. And heck, you know, if you want, go and try and do it yourself and, and give it a go. And that's always nice too. Like if we go into a company, they're like, hey, we tried to use Zapier. We set a few things up and, and we thought, you know, it makes sense. But 
we're, we're obviously not using it to its fullest potential. Can you help us out here? And I think it just goes to being open about what you do, showing your expertise and showing that you just want to help at the end of the day. I think that's the way that you mm-hmm. really do business now. I, I don't think it makes sense to hold stuff to your chest anymore. You know, you're totally. not the only one doing it, but if you're vocal about it, then you're now the thought leader, the expert in this space. And that's valuable. Well, and, and the funny part of it is that's what we've been preaching to our customers for years, right? But mm-hmm. then not doing it ourselves, yeah, right? Yeah. I think I think that's the thing is there's and I can't remember the psychological term, but there is a thing that when you build something, you tend to overvalue its worth. Mm. And so and so that's kind of part of it is uh, you know, like in fact our company name IdeaSpring, you know, if I look at it as sort of a growth pattern inter- internally, like I've always been entrepreneurial and an idea person. Mm-hmm. And for a long time, I thought the ideas were the gold nugget, right? Ideas are certainly important because yep. that's where you start. But I've learned that it's not about the ideas. Ideas uh, are just not valuable unless you have the skill and expertise to execute them. And so um, and so now I would say for us that that's part of the, we're more in the spring part than the idea part, meaning mm-hmm. like in the spring for us is about putting things into action. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, we, we help people not just create the ideas, but here's how you implement them and put them into action. And that's, and so we've been much more freer now about like, okay, I'm fine to sharing my ideas because I've just done this enough to know that, um, you know, people can try to replicate what we do, uh, mm-hmm. kind of going back to that Southwest airlines, but, I can guarantee nobody can hold a candle to how emotionally invested we get in our clients. And so people can't do what we do. Mm-hmm. And, and the, our approach to branding and marketing, I think is really important. We're really help uh, passionate about helping small businesses and making a difference. We've never been money driven. Mm-hmm. It's always just been that sense of fulfillment we get in impacting lives. And so, um, and so like, yeah, let's just get this information out there. And that's kind of where we're starting to shift to. Yeah, and I think we're very aligned in the like the documentation, the process aspect of things. And what's so funny is that, you know, people can listen to it right now where we both we both have said that the first step in our process is to talk about process and document for the client. Because once you understand what your process is, whether that's sales, admin, production, you know, whatever it might be, that's when you can start getting into this automation mindset. That's when you can really start taking advantage and leveraging these tools. But you can hear it time and time again, and people won't just naturally go and like, I'm going to start documenting my process. Like, you know, I need to reconcile my books once a month. And I just do it. It's on, you know, autopilot. But how about you actually Take one of these times, I know maybe it takes you an hour or two hours because you're so efficient with it, but how about you take four or five hours and actually document what you do each step of the way? Because now once you have this in this piece, you can A, automate where possible, and B, you can hand it off to someone else within your company and they can now take care of it. And that's where you can start handing stuff off of your plate because I know it's so difficult for small business owners to delegate and it all comes around documentation and process. And that's the beautiful thing that if you're in that mindset, in that mode, that's when you can just hit the ground running and and leverage automation and do all this stuff. But naturally, people won't just go and do it by themselves. Even if we say it, if you and me say it a hundred times on this podcast, people still will listen and be like, oh yeah, that makes sense. But they won't go and do it. The next time they go and reconcile their books, they're not going to write down a step-by-step. They're just going to keep doing it the way that they've been doing it. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I think the other thing that's been good too is like, uh, and I think seen that in the, in the Zapier forum stuff too, which is, um, you know, like it is the relationships and even with what I preach all the time around customer experience, well, we're again, having to take our own lessons and advice because 
for a long time, I didn't want to be the guy that was just giving strategy and management. I tried to stay away from words like consulting and coaching mm-hmm. and stuff because in my experience, there's oftentimes such a negative connotation around those oh, words. Sure. But it's really what we do. You know, what we do is educate clients. We consult on, you know, the strategy that they need to implement, et cetera. And then we tried to do it all in-house because we just couldn't find people that would meet our level of standards, you know, and, but now we're starting to shift to realizing that, well, the thing that we can do perfectly, but we don't have enough time to do, like would really be better for us to outsource Mm -hmm. so the customer has a better experience in actually getting stuff done. Mm -hmm. And uh, rather than sort of bottlenecked, you know, by us trying to grow our team Mm -hmm. uh, internally and the scaling challenges we've had with that and, you know, just adding to overhead and everything else. And so we've actually scaled back. And uh, and now, uh, like, for example, if I have the right client opportunity, I'm more likely to reach out to you Mm. and say, hey, you know, can you tackle this automation? Yeah. And, you know, and that's so. the thing at the end of the day where something that I've been loving about this podcast as well is that like I'm meeting various people, uh, David Zisner, and he uses Pipedrive and Kelsey Bratcher and he uses um, Infusionsoft. And like I start meeting these people, uh, Agile CRM comes to me. Like either I know like if, if a client comes to me and they're like, I'm using Agile CRM, I know that I need to call up Jaime, who was just on a prior episode podcast. And it's so cool to be able to do that because now I can give these people better customer support. And if they're, if they're like, I, no matter what, I want to use this software and we've been using it for a couple of years and we're not happy with like how it's working and functioning, whatever, and they, but they don't want to switch, then that's where I actually have people that I can leverage and, and hand off to them versus me trying to take them on board and maybe change them. Because I've kind of made the decision where we only want to work with companies that are either looking to switch to Copper or are currently using Copper because the way that we've been able to grow has actually been partnering up very, very closely with uh, prior, you know, Prosperworks and now Copper. And that's actually helped us grow substantially because I've been in this business for eight years now. I was doing web development and online marketing the first like three, four years. At first, I was doing like five grand a year, 10 grand a year, and it was so slow. And then I learned like just take advantage of what your skill set is in. We obsessed over copper. We know everything about it. How about we just double down on that and we, we offer a service around that? And then people started seeing us as an expert in the space specifically here. So yeah, it's a smaller market, significantly smaller. There are large, massive companies with crazy budgets that are using Salesforce that I know that we can help. But at the end of the day, like right now at our size, it makes sense for me to specialize. And then I'll start opening up more. The more people that I hire, the more that we grow. But right now, specialization, I think, makes a lot of sense. Well, and I, and I think, and that's where the key is, is that, cause I definitely see it from a business and logic perspective. Like, cause I've kind of, like, I've kind of gone down that path a couple times with different, uh, companies where it's like, Hey, all right, I'm going to be, you know, an expert in this. And honestly, outside of Hotjar and Zapier, like I've, I've yet to find the tool that I'm willing to go all in and invest, uh, you know, like we've, we've signed up under, um, different, uh, like we've been resellers for agile CRM. Uh, you know, we've done a number of those things, but in fact, maybe this is kind of a separate conversation, but if you want to explore it, like, like Infusionsoft, we were an Infusionsoft customer a long time ago. Mm -hmm. And the reality was great product, but not really for us because we didn't have enough of our process and marketing down, like to really leverage it. So we paid Mm -hmm. all this money and it really wasn't, worth it because we didn't have any sort of process. We had no lead magnets. We, you know, we didn't have any of that. And so, uh, but part of it too was 
I was like, you know, when you try to use the all in one tools, I feel constrained, Me too, you yeah. know, like, uh, like, ah, I, I don't want to use this piece. And so I, and that's kind of where the Zapier thing started coming in. And, um, uh, you know, which was like, well, I want to use the right CRM I want and the email platform I want mm-hmm. and, you know, all of that stuff. And, um, and so, so it's been, um, yeah, so I think yeah, that, and that that's part of it because so I'm I'm the same way that and it is very difficult to make the decision of like what am I going to uh, you know use as that core software and recommend to everyone. I'm so much about using the best tool for the job and for so like that's where the CRM aspect the reason why I like copper so much is because they you can have unlimited pipelines so a pipeline essentially is normally just a sales process and most CRMs it's like you have your opportunities pipeline and it's a sales process you know maybe taking it from lead to qualified and then just through and then sold what we've been able to do with copper is then also make like a project management pipeline and then also you know each stage of the process so now we're not we're not using the CRM is just a sales tool. We're using it as a process mm-hmm. tool. And what I learned at the end of the day, we are a process-oriented company that if I can use something like the CRM that you're using on a daily basis and now leverage a, a different process in there. So now, great, the sales cycle ends and you mark the opportunity as one. It now creates them in the new pipeline as a project. And what is the project management process from start to finish? So we need to schedule it. We need to you know, order this, this, and this. And like you go through this process. And I realized that I can do that with copper and they've been able they like i've built so many relationships at that company that it felt like such a no-brainer to me and i love the direction that they're going but like great what about Mm -hmm. um for uh support desks and things like that like of course copper's not trying to be that or anything like that so great like i did a bunch of different research and i stumbled upon help scout yes i tried intercom yes i tried zendesk yes i tried all these different things but the thing is like help scout they're a large enough company where they um, they have, uh, well, honestly, one of the things, their brand is beautiful. Like if you ever have a chance, go to, to help scout their, their design language, their branding, their like, man, it, it's gorgeous. They're, they're one of my favorite companies just from I, the designers that they have and what they do and their user experience. And it's always user experience first in their product. And that's something that I love so much about it. But at the end of the day, like they actually care so much about customer service and doing it in a way that is not just about like automating, you know, to death, because that's not always the solution. So even when you're sending in a support ticket for Help Scout, they don't give you like you, this is uh, conversation number 1316142, that's never shown to the end user because all it is, it's like, no, you're just having a conversation with our support staff. And it doesn't even say support staff. It says, like, Alex Bass. Like, if I'm the one talking to you, it says Alex Bass. Yes, in the middle of a support ticket, it will switch over to someone else's name because they want it to be personalized. And their mindset with that is something that's just so interesting to me. So, like, I've chosen them as, like, that core solution. But, yes, if a company is is a software as a service company, like, Intercom makes total sense, for example. Like, there, there are certain areas where we're not – full-fledged on like you have to use help scout sometimes it makes sense for some of these other ones or if copper doesn't make sense we just don't say well you have to have copper it's like we just choose these certain things same thing with asana and trello i'm biased i love asana we use asana internally i've integrated our help scout 
with Asana so deeply that I feel so comfortable that we can automate and integrate with Asana and Help Scout. So if you are open to using Asana Help Scout, we can help you. If you're using a, uh, Help Scout and Trello, I'm sure we can help you. But at the end of the day, we have more expertise in Asana and, and Help Scout. So that's like we we're open. But at the end of the day, I've just kind of decided that like it makes sense because we've gone so deep with automation with certain tools that why don't we offer those tools as something that we specialize in and recommend. Um, and that's just kind of the decision factor that we've come to with it. Sure. And some, something you mentioned there did remind me of uh, a tool that I was kind of pleasantly surprised by uh, on the software side is there's a tool called Zapti. Oh, okay. So not to get confused, obviously, with Zapier, but Zapti is a kind of a good tool. It might be fun to play with a little bit uh, because in, internally for our team, we tried a number of project management things. Like we did um, team projects and that was like, I don't know, was using a hammer when you need tweezers <laughs> you yeah, know, for us. And, and, uh, uh, and then we've, we've tried, uh, like we've been through Asana, Asana's Key, tough. like yeah. we did a whole bunch of stuff. And, um, and then ultimately, the one thing that the team really took to uh, was Zapti. And, um, and they, are very, they were very early startup. And in fact, it's funny because I've had the same experience with Hotjar, Zapier and now Zapti where like when you get get in early you can provide ideas really early on and they go wow that's a cool idea you know mm -hmm. and uh, and then they do it and so Zapti's been very responsive in that way and so it's a it, it's kind of a really cool project management tool the only the only quote issue we had was there was so much overlap between it and Slack we had to define what our policy was like yes. what was going in Slack versus what was going in uh, um Zapti, and that was a result of I I tried really hard to find something that was well integrated with mm -hmm. Slack, and just couldn't find anything that we were happy with and could use, you know, realistically. It, it's funny. And, uh, I, I'm on the Zapti site right now, and I see trusted by companies, and, and IdeaSpring is at the bottom. Um, so it, it, really, it, that's funny. They yes. Didn't even tell me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's great. Um, so essentially, what, yeah, what what's awesome. really interesting about this though is so like Zapti, for example. Project management is very difficult. So, like Asana is, I don't even recommend. I don't recommend it that often unless there's a very, very, very clear need because there's no guardrails, and a lot of it is like you need to just build the structure and what you feel comfortable with, and you need to really like know your process very well in order to actually start building around it. Otherwise, you just get lost and you get overwhelmed. And I'm still, I'm two years into it, three years into it, and I'm still learning new things, new ways to organize it every day, and I'm frequently frequenting the asana community so it's like that's one of the things that it's it's definitely difficult where i don't go in a, and recommend asana to absolutely everyone um and and where possible i try to just use like copper for project management for very basic 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 project management but yeah like slack oh man it is tough to like did you just hear what happened with atlassian and hipchat where they they essentially um, Slack just acquired the rights to HipChat and Atlassian um, essentially gave them all of their IP and they made a very small investment in Slack. They pretty much just said, you know, we we believe that we are no longer HipChat and Atlassian, like we are no longer the the communication space. Like we're going to focus on Jira, we're going to focus on Bitbucket, we're going to focus on what we can do. But like Slack, you guys are doing a great job and we want to fully embrace you guys. So here's all of our IP. Here's, a, here's an investment for some stake in your company and let's just partner up like crazy. And you start mm -hmm. seeing that, that it's like, holy crap. Like I don't, Slack is 
I don't think they're going anywhere anytime soon. And that's a scary thing to get off of them. But I also know that you can have information overload with Slack. It's very, you know, you have to be careful about that for sure. Mm-hmm. And, I, and on the Slack side, I just got an alert uh, the other day that I'm like, okay, good. You know, like they're, they're doing things to improve search and stuff within there. And, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, so I, I definitely think, uh, yeah, it's hard. It's hard to beat Slack. I think mm-hmm. so. It, it, that, it's, that it's would funny. be another one to use a lot for for um for the t- the task or management aspect because you had mentioned for instance Zapti like not knowing when to use Slack, not knowing when to use um Zapti. Like we've experienced that as well with like putting Asana in place. When do we put tasks in Asana versus the CRM versus you know somewhere else? And we we struggled with it internally for a while where we were just like okay clear like. Anything relationship based, we're like, we need to follow up with someone or, you know, I'm scheduling this podcast with you. And this is like a relation type thing like that goes into the CRM. Anything else like a task or project oriented that goes into Asana. And it's still very difficult where it's like a task comes to mind. Should I be putting this in Asana or should I be putting it into Copper, the CRM? And it's funny because it is this distinction that you need to make and decide as a company of here's our process. When this comes up, here's what you need to do. It, and how we split it was we we decided that anything related to, uh, I mean, yeah, I guess kind of task or project oriented, but the slight twist we had was um, anything in Zapti had to be customer friendly, hmm. meaning you w- it wouldn't be any sort of behind the scenes information or discussion. Uh, like, oh, hey, I screwed that up or, you know, oh, gotcha. or, or whatever, right? Uh, uh, you know, like, so, because then what we did was we started making Zapti our reporting tool so that we could oh. just provide status update to customers and stuff. And then, and then we even kind of took, and that was, that was why I loved Zapti was because, and this is, again, this is sort of the track pattern as an idea guy. And I, and I can see a lot of how you do the same thing when we're in Zapier in this forum, right? Like mm-hmm. pushing these companies to do things in ways that they didn't realize they could be pushed that way. And, mm-hmm. and so that's what we did with Zapti was we really kind of helped them push outside the box they and path they were going down and said, well, this is how we're using it. And, uh, and so, uh, so yeah, so we kind of I lost my train of thought, but we yeah. shifted to like everything that was task and project oriented uh that would be customer facing uh, friendly exactly customer facing and then there's a policy we did as a team was uh the communication that we did internally within Zapti was always in context of providing the exact detailed information that somebody on the team coming into this raw would need to be able to complete the steps. In other words, you couldn't just assign a task to somebody. Mm-hmm. You had to explain, hey, here's the files that I created that you know for the task. Here's where they're located and you know and here's specifically what I need. So mm-hmm. it was it wasn't just general conversation like, hey, are you starting on this yet? You know, that kind of stuff. It was more of a um, like step by step and yeah things exactly that documenting that yeah it was documenting where we're at on the task or project from a customer base and mm-hmm. internally it was providing specific instructions that the that the person who was now going to needed in order to complete the task mm-hmm. and then everything else 
the conversation, brainstorming, and all that stuff occurs over Slack. It, it's interesting that you mentioned that because now that I think about it, have you heard of the the software as a service company called Coda? Coda.io. There, it's it's not the code editor. There's a code editor called Coda. Um, this is Coda. It's supposed to replace. Google Sheets, Google Docs, and kind of also throw Airtable in there and project management. I think I've heard of it. I okay. don't think I've played with it. So we've actually been using that. So it was what's really interesting. I think they've had like fifty million dollars in venture backing, and they were like up. They were working privately for like I think three years, working with the likes of like Uber and massive companies on their platform. And they just recently entered a beta. Uh, I think like five or six months ago. It's been a very long beta, and it's fairly easy to sign up for now. But we've been using that as the shared client doc. So for instance, we will put stuff in there, understanding that the client will say it and we'll even tag the client and say like, hey, you know, we need a response on this question or something like that. So it's always that back and forth. But then, yes, the actionable type stuff we put in Asana because like that's our massive project manager. So we're kind of doing something similar mm-hmm. in that sense. But it is definitely weird. It's like, should we be putting this in Coda or should we be putting it in Asana? It keeps coming back to, well, are we fine with the client seeing this? And is this actually something that like now the client has documentation? So anything documentation based that the client can see as value that can reference later, that goes in Coda. Anything that actually needs to be done, you know, step by step, like based on a timeline that goes into Asana. And it's you're all, we're always playing mm-hmm. with it. We're always, you know, figuring different things. We may implement different software and change that around a little bit. It's always being open to different avenues, but it, it definitely is weird because there's times where we overlap Asana and Coda and it's like, I know we're doing redundant work right now. And and I'm it's just trying to figure out what is the best case for this software. And it's tough to make that decision sometimes. So taking it a completely something else you said, taking it a completely different direction, I I'm laughing because I wonder how you deal with this and then I'll and then I'll put my money where my mouth is and give you yeah. an idea that I have under the presumption that that nobody else listening is gonna like steal the idea, yeah. right? Because they have to actually execute on it. Yeah. But so the other thing is like the the downside of this whole SaaS model and then being a uh collector of all of these right and trying things out so that you know what's out there mm-hmm. is oh my gosh keeping track of all the subscriptions i can't mm-hmm. tell you the number of things i've actually signed up for then forgot i signed up yeah right and then like you're just slowly being dripped nine bucks a month for something and like you know <laughs> yep like what is this and then, and then when the name isn't reconcilable to like what was it we we tried something out and it was like I can't now I can't remember the name of what it was, but it was like it would come in uh, as one charge transaction. And we're Mm -hmm. like, what the heck is this? You know, and then like because I couldn't equate it to, you know, what the service was I signed up for. And and so so just in fact, our accountant, uh, you know, was frustrated by, you know, like I can't keep up with all these subscriptions. Right. Mm -hmm. Because I was just always trying stuff. And um, and so I have this idea now is like if you kind of look at Zapier as a collection of all of these APIs, yep. right? Really, it's it's really an API store if you think of it, because it really that's their average. Why somebody would open a SaaS model and not integrate with Zapier, I cannot understand, because right. the exposure you would get from that is huge. Mm-hmm. But not to mention the obvious value of connecting via API. But but like, so I have this idea for something called uh, you know PubSub, right? Not not like a protocol, but like uh, or SubHub. That's what Mm -hmm. it is. So what I want is like I want a whole centralized hub that I can go and find these different SaaS 
services and manage all of my subscriptions and payments for them right there. Oh, mm-hmm. I'm going to okay. enable this subscription or disable this subscription. So I would recommend checking out blissfully.com, B-L-I-S-S-F-U-L-L-Y.com. So I'm, I'm in it right now. I used to be an MSP, a managed services provider, and a big part of that. Um, so Blissfully is supposed to be for the MSP, I think specifically using G Suite, but it could be other things as well. And it aggregates everything. So like I'm under apps right now, it says I have 41 apps, 19 are paid, 22 are free. And let's start looking like uh, business operations. So there's Airtable, which is paid. There's Lucid Charts, Pandadoc, Slack, G Suite, Harvest, Spanning. I didn't even put any of these in there. It skims my emails and it knows when receipts come in. And then it tells me like how much I'm spending in different categories. So like Airtable, um, so we're down this month where we're only spending, you know, $52 this month, whereas last month we were spending 66% more. Um, and it tells you like these three employees in your company each have a separate Asana subscription. Why is that the case? This is supposed to find people inside of large companies maybe having multiple subscriptions to MailChimp, for example, and saying, hey, you guys should aggregate, use the same MailChimp account, you'll save 300 bucks a month or whatever. Um, that's what this is really meant for and aggregating all of that. So yeah, I, there it it sounds when you talk about this, it sounds kind of similar. You can't necessarily just toggle off and be like, I no longer want the subscription. Um, I know that's part of the goal where they want to be able to do that type of thing. The issue is I've, I've gotten pretty close to them and, and the founders of the company and talking to them. It's tough because a lot of these companies don't have an open API specifically for starting an account, adding users or deleting a subscription or anything like that. Like that's that's a totally well, well, different, you know. Well, what I was picturing is something almost like a PayPal, for lack of a better analogy, kind Mm -hmm. of a process. In other words, like, so if I, as a cloud provider, could take payment for blissfully, you know, for Mm -hmm. example, to use that as an example, uh, you know, so in other words, yeah, so in other words, I'm still going to go sign up for these different things and create an account through them. It's just that I want the payment method to come from this. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. And then then be able to uh, turn off or on you know, cancel my subscription to those things, mm-hmm. you know, through central hub management, you know. And I know that that part of that is the goal for Blissfully as well. You can do that currently for G Suite. Like if you sign up through them with G Suite, then they'll do that for you. For example, you know, you pay them whatever and they, they try to partner wherever possible to do that. Uh, I think it's tough to build all those relationships with all these companies. Like, why the heck does GitHub care about partnering up with Blissfully or whatever you are to be that aggregated, um, you know, payment kind of gateway in a sense? So I know that that's part of their goal. So I definitely recommend checking them out. And it makes total sense. Like, it's a massive issue where um, that's part of what we try to offer to our clients at the moment is instead of paying uh, Copper and G Suite and um, you know, all these individual companies, you can just pay us one once per month or once per six, whatever you want to do. And we will pay those companies. We pay G Suite directly. We pay Copper directly. But we have to have that partnership relationship with Copper to invoice us instead of invoicing the customer. And they have to turn off in their right. software as a service the ability to add users. And now they have to go through us. So they want to add a new user. They have to say, hey, Alex, we need, we need a new user in Copper. Great. All right. We just upgraded you. You're good to go. So, which yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, we've, we've kind of done that mostly as well because it was part of our value proposition is like you know you just have to write one check to us mm-hmm. the downsides that we find i mean in, i'm interested to hear more what your experience is with this some of the so there so there's advantages when selling you know in that aspect 
Uh, some of the disadvantages that we found, though, are um, like, in fact, even that client that we talked about, you know, helping them so much, the the digital controls manufacturer, some of the people that were far more removed, some of the shareholders and stuff were like, well, why is Ideaspring getting this whole huge check? Mm-hmm. Like, what yep. are we getting for that? Right. And then they miss like, well, because here's all the systems and stuff, that, you know, mm-hmm. that we're paying for on your behalf, you know, mm-hmm. like the labor portion of that is, you know, X, but here's all the other systems, you know, related. Yeah. And, um, and then, uh, you know, and then some of it is, and I wish more companies would provide kind of, especially for smaller businesses, that multi-tenant approach. Mm-hmm. I've pushed some companies to be able to go that direction, you know, but, um, where like, hey, look, this is how this is our model, and you know, and oftentimes the things that we need to help small businesses, kind of going back to the, like we used to say, we make Fortune 500 tools, techniques, and technologies feasible for small business, mm-hmm. and and so what I wish more of these larger companies would do would be able to have a multi-tenant approach that was more geared to our small business, like mm-hmm. instead of making us sign up for 100 seats, you know, just to use that as an example. Like, I don't know, give me a pay as I go sort of seat thing. Let me sell your tool. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and, uh, and, uh, so we've, we kind of struggled with the whole multi-tenant aspect and then how to build our pricing around that. And then, and yeah. then when customers, as much as we want them to stay with us forever, they don't. And so then sort of off? like, yeah. So, yeah. uh, where we landed with it was we separated it out. Like now we call it our cloud services. Mm-hmm. And so we kind of itemize what's in there and we've separated it from our labor, but I'm interested in your experience with that. It's I've kind of, I was at a point where I was definitely doing that, trying to aggregate everything wherever possible. And even like say that it starts to get messy. Cause like what you mentioned, the multi-tenant. So like MailChimp, for example, for us to sign up for MailChimp and manage this subscription, have our credit card on file, it starts getting really messy, especially when all, I know some people, they have like a separate credit card. This is where it gets like super tough. And maybe there's certain services that allow you to create a bunch of different virtual credit cards. So you can make a virtual credit card for each client. And then that way you don't need to worry so much because like MailChimp, they'll start adding users, which will raise the price or they'll, or sorry, they'll start adding contacts, which will raise the price and all these things individually they can change. Um, that's where it gets messy though. If you just have your credit card on file uh, and that's kind of sometimes what you need to do, especially when the client needs to access it. So I've, I've definitely taken a step away where I let clients, and when I say let clients, I, I prefer clients to have their own subscriptions for many different things. So like MailChimp, I never, like I don't want to have that subscription. Reply.io, I don't want to have that risk, uh, that subscription. But the, the only things that we really want to do that with right now are G Suite because we have that multi-tenant, like they, they have the reseller console for us and it just makes sense. Same thing with Copper, like it makes sense. Um, they, they really well understand what we're doing. They have the system and the model up for it. And then even look at Zapier, like that's, they, they still don't have an agency model, multi-tenant account where a lot of us in the community are, are paying for that expensive teams account, which really teams account is not meant for multi-client, but many of us are trying to make it work for multi-client, for example. So mm-hmm. But they see it. They see it like Zapier sees it. They hear it and they're like, our next goal is to actually build this agency because we realize that companies like you and me are the ones that are going to help push their software to the next level because we're going to get more people on board and we're going to make them use the system deeply. Because I talked to a couple of people at Zapier and they said, you know, our average, like they have more than a million users. 
but they're like 90% of them are using like a multi-step zap that's like, you know, this trigger creates this. They don't even understand to use filters, you know, and, and anything more mm-hmm. than like two or three actions. Whereas then there's us over here, we're, we're using some zaps that now, especially with paths, like that have like 10 different actions that trigger and there's so much logic and sometimes custom JavaScript code is in there manipulating the data for it to output into the software and to the other programs, the APIs that need to be done. So like, I totally agree with you and it's difficult. Um, I've definitely handed that off and I've definitely had scenarios as well. Yes. Like what you mentioned where they get a bill for two, three grand for the month and they're kind of like, holy crap, like that's, you know, we're giving you so much money and it's like, hold on a second. Like a thousand of that is actually going directly to software as a service for your CRM and all these different things that I think mentally in their mind, they may start seeing you as this massive expense. And I think the more software you throw in that, the more the lines get blurred. Whereas at least with us, like they just know like CRM, which is such a core to what you need and G Suite is such a core to what you need. Those are the two things that are going through us. And um, I, in, in terms of, of management, admin is, is tough. Like if you want to manage all the stuff for all of your clients, the admin aspect to it is is exhausting because it's exhausting enough just doing it with G Suite and Copper. And we have the tools. So it's it, it's difficult. I, I don't think there there is this go-to solution for it. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, so um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else that we can cover. Like, because this is fun. I like doing yeah. this. <laughs> I'm sitting here thinking, like, yeah, like we sh- we should do a joint podcast more often. You know, like yeah. go go through these tools. And uh, I love. We're we're actually starting a new thing to build um, different video channels and content marketing stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so yeah, I think it'd be fun to do like a like a video podcast of walking through different you know yes. SaaS applications and sort of like putting it through its basis and sort of, you know, building a test around it and, and explaining you know, the automation side. Cause okay. So there, there's definitely, there are some companies that are doing that where it's like, Hey, check out Coda and they just bring you through Coda. But I think that's where we can have a different spin on it where it's like, okay, you know, here's Coda, but then here's how you can use it with a mindset of integrating it with your existing CRM or whatever. And that's where you could kind of jump into Zapier a little bit, or just jump into talking about the integration automation aspect. Cause that's something that I think people are dying to, to know, to learn about many people don't even know that that's a thing that this automation space exists in the way that it does um so i think creating that content the 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 internet needs more of that content because i don't think enough of it exists and zapier is trying to throw a lot of blog posts out there to to introduce that um but i think video content like they're not even really doing video content at all around that so yeah yeah because i think that's the key is like yeah you can go get videos and understand how a tool works by hearing the features and everything else but i think applying it on how and like how to apply it right and then create some use cases and here's you know uh yeah like here here's how automation like here's how i would apply this in automation right like, mm-hmm. how could we use it you know that kind of stuff mm-hmm. so That's i don't know definitely. if you're a game for that i'd be i'd be i'd be open to exploring yeah something like oh, that. absolutely and, yeah I'm, I'm totally down for that and you know connecting with everyone on here and understanding i think just talking more regularly is going to make us all better at you know this business and being able to help people better and i love like the reason why i reached out to have you on the podcast too is like i see you in the community all the time like people are asking questions and you're jumping in and you're like, hey, here's how I think that it should be solved. And like you break it down. I'm like, that makes a lot of sense. Like you, it, it's so clear that you know what you're doing because your mind thinks in the automation problem solving way that when you find someone that way, like I want to connect with them and I want to build a relationship with them because there's so much to be learned from that. And and having this community around people that think the similar way is, is very powerful. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, and I think it'd be fun to showcase like even, I mean, and that's why I thought about, you know, like from a video channel perspective and a podcast perspective, like Zapier is like, like, where do you start? We'll just start with Zapier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. In other words, I don't mean, I don't mean Zapier, the product. I mean, like there's a repository of all of these brands that are, you know, in automation and like, you know, I, I could totally see doing podcast around you know, sort of that surprising tool, you mm-hmm. know, and I'd love to have a relationship with Zapier, which maybe we can now with this whole experts forum and oh, stuff, for sure. like to really kind of get sort of early access to, mm-hmm. you know, people that they're bringing on and, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, and, most definitely. Yeah. I think it makes sense. And I think there's a lot of um, content to be made and there's a lot of opportunity in the space. And at the end of the day, sometimes you need to just start throwing out content and spending the time and doing it. Um, and so, yeah, I think we're, we're all in the perfect position to do it. We just need to, you know, jump in and actually do it. I'm, I'm very audible. Like I'm, I prefer, like, I don't like writing at all. So like a podcast and video are totally my realm. And if I have to write tons of blog posts, I just get, I get overwhelmed. I spend way too much time editing it. I'm a perfectionist when it comes to that. Whereas, you know, this is more constant stream of consciousness and just a conversation. I definitely prefer this significantly. Um, yeah, that, let's, let's mm-hmm. put, let's put something together. Let's see if there's some way that we can build out some content or, or collab in some way or something. Um, I kind of, there, the one last thing I, I just yesterday signed up for this new software that, uh, it's a, it's a new tab page in Chrome and in, it's an extension and I always get into this mode where when I find something new that I think is going to positively affect my efficiency and productivity, I get like super involved and super excited thinking that like, I think it's that I was reading an article at one point where they're saying that like when you implement new software, your mind thinks of what efficiency you can get from it and you always overcompensate. You think it's going to be the next best thing. It's going to, it's going to change your entire (laughs) life, your entire business. Um, but it's also this feeling that I, I enjoy getting. Like I love seeing a new piece of software and thinking like, mm-hmm. man, this can change everything and just getting so excited about that. So I'm experiencing that right now with this. It's called WorkOna, W-O-R-K-O-N-A. Um, it just got released, I think, two days ago. And what it is, is it's a new tab page mixed with kind of like workspaces. So what you can do is you can create, um, say, a workspace. Like I created one for like reconciling. So when I click on reconciling, it opens up all of the tabs that I normally need to have open when reconciling. So QuickBooks Online, my uh, credit card statements, like all the stuff that I manually have to do, it, it, it like creates a workflow of all the tabs that are needed for a specific thing. So I have some for like uh, automation dashboard or maybe a project-based one. So paths refactoring because I'm refactoring a ton of zaps for clients utilizing paths. So it's like you can have these little segments and it just hides and shows these sessions because I'm someone that has, you know, 50 tabs open at any given time. This allows me to organize (laughs) them and group them and and create workflows around them. And I'm super stoked about it at the moment. And I'm playing around with it. I'm very happy with how it's going. Um, But we'll we'll see where it goes from there. So I just want to throw that out because it's like something that's on on the top of my head right now. And I'm staring at it at the moment. So I want to just get that out. Yeah, no, too. No, I'm totally stoked because now I'm going to, after we're done here, I'm going to play with Otter and copper and uh you know and work on it yeah it definitely can relate to that yeah, yeah. uh so oh, man all right well hey i yeah. appreciate you spending the time and it was awesome learning about your business and and i'm sure you know i'll be following up with you to jump on another podcast very soon yeah awesome man hey i appreciate it yeah oh real quick do you, where could people find you if they uh-huh. if they want to reach out and get involved 
Well, uh, so definitely our website, ideaspring.com, and I, I usually try to point people directly to our testimonials page because it has videos from mm-hmm. uh, our clients that, that explain how in-depth we get with our customers, right? So, mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, so that's where I really recommend people go. And then uh, other than that, uh, definitely on different social media stuff, which is uh, located there, but I'm one of those people that – like we're we're finally just starting to switch to the whole content marketing stuff, and because mm. uh, I, I like I'm a firm believer of just I don't know when I post stuff when I create a blog post it's because I I feel like it's important enough for me to put up there, and I know that from a logistics being consistency is really important if that's what you're trying to generate. But for me, it's been more about I don't know I just don't want to put garbage up, mm. you know, and so and we're finally. Yeah, because it's hard. That's where I've struggled with the content piece is, uh, you know, like, I don't know. I just don't want to be another voice of like, here's how you do SEO and here's this tactic and that tactic, right? And and then feeling like I'm competing with other people on the branding and marketing side. So what's my voice? And I think we're finding it around now, our uh, branding and marketing approach and framework. Yeah, it sounds like you guys really have that nailed down. And a lot of the conversation that we had today was specifically around that aspect. So it makes total sense. Um, And what I've been learning too Mm -hmm. for content is just like, talk about your process, because that's something that people don't talk about all that often. Like you and me were obsessed with documentation and process and letting people see what it is that you're doing, like the process behind it is so valuable because you can say, you know, hey, we're this massive company now, but it doesn't connect with anyone. Like, how did you get there? What or as you're growing like that part of the podcast for me is to document how I'm growing, how I'm changing. The last guest that I had on a month ago, my business was in a way different place than it is now. And that's super exciting that I can kind of see myself grow through the podcast and then talk about it every now and then. Maybe if I'm struggling with hiring a new employee or something like that, I can talk about it. And I have this vehicle and and that something that that's content, you know, you're creating content as you're struggling. Mm-hmm through something at the same time so cool man yeah totally yeah so hey i appreciate it alex and look forward to some more chats and i'm i'm dying i've been so swamped i haven't even been able to go on and play with paths so I I'm, know. To, uh, I'm i'm planning on doing a little bit later today on the exact same way cool man all right i can't wait yeah. we'll, we'll connect yeah. back on the forum and we'll i'm sure we'll be talking about paths and everything so all right okay cool. all right talk to you later you, man, man. Bye. bye This is Alex Bass with Analysis Paralysis. Thank you so much for listening to another episode. The funny thing about podcasting is there's really no standardized way to leave reviews and to really support kind of the creators. I'm doing this simply because I enjoy talking to people about this type of content and I love sharing it with you guys as well. There's a lot of work that goes into editing the episodes and we spend a lot of time listening to them and reviewing them and pulling out teasers and everything. So if you appreciate what we're doing, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. You can go to iTunes. I have a link, aparalysis.com forward slash review. It's always tough asking for this type of thing, but genuinely, it's the only thing that could really help us thrive and grow. We don't have a massive community, but we have many of you that really want to just help, and this would really, really help. So thank you so much for listening. And if you're interested at all in automation, efficiency, CRM, business process, then feel free to reach out to me directly at Alex H. Bass on Twitter, or you can email me 
at abassettaparalysis.com. I would love so much to talk to many of you. Some of you have already reached out and we've had awesome, awesome conversations. All right. Thank you so much.